0: Thank you once again to Sean for leading us, and thank you all for being here this morning. We want to leave the doors like open and the windows open and stuff like that. If that distracts you, you're allowed to close. If that, just go ahead and close the door if that distracts you. Otherwise, we're going to leave it open. We're going to enjoy some sun. It's such a nice... Isn't it such a nice day? Like, nobody wanted to come in this morning, right? Everybody's just kind of lingering outside. I was like, can we move this all outside for the day? Well, anyway. But you're here, so thank you for being here. Thank you for sacrificing your warm, summery spring morning for, for being here in worship. Uh, we are getting closer to the end of an 11 part message series that we've been calling Rediscovering Jesus. And we've been going through this content for so long, and one of the big points that I am struggling but trying to make throughout this series is that Jesus entered into this world to bring something new. In fact, to bring a whole lot of new. Jesus entered into this world, and he brought us a whole lot of new. One of the big things that he brought us that was new is a new deal or a new arrangement or a new covenant. There's an Old Covenant, and then there's a New Covenant. Now, the Old Covenant is something that existed between God and a specific group of people, the Israelites. And it's all recorded in your Old Testament. That that first like three quarters of your Bible, that's the Old Testament. And so we read all about this old agreement, this old arrangement that God had with a specific nation of people. The New Covenant... Is an arrangement, is an agreement, is a deal, is a covenant between God and all people everywhere. Now, the old covenant promises us that there will be a new covenant, and the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. They're not the same thing, though. That's really important for us to, to deal with. And I know that even so many weeks into this series, there's still some Christians out there struggling with this concept that there is a new covenant. And there it is again. Hello. I could talk through it if you can listen through it. Can we keep going? All right, here we go. So the New Covenant is superior to the Old Covenant because the New Covenant is is open up to everybody. It's not just about one nation and God, it's about all people everywhere. And Jesus Himself is this bridge between the Old and the New. He bridges the gap between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so Jesus, that's one of the big new things that He came to bring us as a New Covenant. He also brought us something else, a new mission or a new purpose, if you want to call it that. I prefer the term mission. A new mission in this world. If you go back to the Old Covenant, and those of you who are doing the chronological Bible readings, you've read, yeah, okay, one shout-out. Who gave me a shout-out for that? (laughs) All right, (laughs) who else, right? (laughs) Woo! Yeah, good stuff. Anyway, if you're reading along, if you're reading along in the Old Testament, we've read about this old covenant. Now if you were trying to to figure out well what was the what was the purpose of this covenant? What was the purpose that God gave? What was the mission that God gave the Israelites? I don't know if you could come up with one clear, concise answer. I mean, you could come up with a few that basically point to the same thing. God gave the people, gave the Israelites a mission. They were to be a holy people. They were to be a set-apart people. They were to be an exemplary people. They were to be God's representatives on the earth. And so, yes, that's an important mission. With the new covenant comes a new mission. And that new mission is to make Disciples. That's the mission that Jesus gives His followers after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. He gives them a mission to follow. You are to go out and make disciples. And as we've talked about over the past several weeks, this mission of making disciples, it is a time-consuming process. It is a life-consuming process. And to make disciples means on the one level you're working on yourself and you're actively participating in your own disciple becoming. You're seeking out opportunities where you can learn more about Jesus, where you can learn more about his boundaries, where you can learn more about his way and how he told us to live And you're doing things like showing up at worship on a Sunday morning so you can hear God's Word and be encouraged and be challenged, and you're showing up at small groups and you're meeting with each other one-on-one to encourage one another and support one another, and you're doing all those things to actively participate in your own disciple becoming. That's a weird way to put it. You know what I mean by that? You're becoming a disciple, and at the same time, you're also helping other people experience the new covenant, the new covenant of Jesus Christ. You're helping them learn about who Jesus is and what He has done for us. That's part of what it means to be a disciple maker we need to share the new covenant with other people. And as we learned last week, this new covenant is a covenant in blood, the blood of Jesus, that He died on the cross for our sins, that we could receive forgiveness eternal life and we need to share that with other people and I know a few weeks ago we did this thing if you were here and you had a little index card and we talked about evangelism and I challenge you and I encourage you to write down the name of somebody in your life that you love and you're not sure about where they stand with Jesus and that whole evangelism thing that whole thing that maybe makes us feel uncomfortable that's such a key part And an important part of making disciples, there's no such thing as making disciples without evangelism. It has to come into play somewhere. And so I encourage you, do you remember this? And it was like weeks ago. Does anybody remember from one week to the next? I barely do, and I'm the one saying it, right? But I encourage you to write down that name, and I encourage you to pray for that person, and plan, and then actually do the plan. Because it's not enough just to pray, you actually have to plan. And it's not enough just to plan, you have to actually do the thing of evangelism. and Share Jesus in tangible, realistic ways. And so we've got the new covenant, and we've got the new mission, and then we have a new movement, all this new stuff. We've got a new movement, and Jesus calls this movement church, church, church. The movement of the church is dedicated to fulfilling the mission. And so this might not seem like a big like, big deal, but it really is. Here's what you need to know, that the timing is important here, okay, or the order of things is important. The mission that God gives us, the mission that Jesus gives his followers, comes before the movement, okay? That is to say, the mission of making disciples comes first, and then Christ creates the movement called church around the mission. Do You see what I'm saying? It's important, okay? I, I'm not being very clear about this. Let me try to say it a different way. Here, here's the thing. It's not as if Jesus said, okay, let's create a movement. We're all called the church. Okay, guys, uh, what should we do? What should we be about? What's our mission? What's our vision? Let's brainstorm some ideas. It's not as if that happened. It starts with mission. We need to go out and make disciples. We need to share what Jesus is about. And then he creates the movement around the mission. Does that make more sense? Okay. We good? Yeah, all right, good. I love the thumbs up when I get that. That's great. And so the reason that I point that out, it really is an important thing because I've sat in on enough church meetings, not at this church, but at other churches where people sit around and say, what should we be about as a church? What should our mission statement be? What should our vision statement be? And it's great for every local church to have their own unique take on that, to have their own unique vision statement or mission statement. That's a wonderful thing. But the deal is this, we've already been given our mission by Jesus. It starts with mission. The movement comes after the mission. We, we cool with that? Is that kind of yeah, all right, I got it again. All right, good, very good. So it feels like we've got these these pieces coming together. We've got these three pieces of the puzzle coming together. We've got the covenant, we've got the new covenant, of course, we've got the new mission, we've got the new movement, and it's starting to feel like we've got a whole picture coming together of what we're supposed to be about as followers of Jesus. It's coming together. It's kind of like we're making some kind of a meal and all the ingredients are coming together, and it's starting to seem like we've got it all, right? What else do we need? We've got the new covenant. We've got the new mission, we've got the new movement, starting to feel like we have it all, but we don't. There's one thing missing. There's one more thing we need to add to this puzzle to make it complete, or I'll put it this way, there's one more ingredient we need to add to this, this meal before it's a thing. One more key ingredient, and without this key ingredient, nothing matters, Without this one key ingredient, we can have the new covenant and we can have the new mission and we can have a new movement. But if we're missing this last piece, this fourth piece of the puzzle, this fourth ingredient, if we're missing it, we've got nothing. Everything else is useless and won't work and doesn't work. Have you ever done this? Literally, you're making a recipe and at some point along the way, you forget an ingredient and it's like, well, this tastes terrible, right? (laughs) And sometimes there's no substitutes, right? Once upon a time when I was younger, I tried to make pizza. Like I had the dough, I had the cheese, I had the toppings, and so I'm making the pizza and all of a sudden I realize, ooh, I don't have any sauce. So I'm like, well, I got ketchup. That'll work, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know now, right? (laughs) No substitutes, okay? It was a missing ingredient, no substitutes. And here's the thing with this whole church package thing that we're talking about. We've got these three ingredients. We need this fourth ingredient. There are no substitutes. We need the actual sauce here, okay? Okay? And that fourth piece, that missing piece, that piece we haven't talked about yet, is the new law. So we've got the new covenant, we've got the new mission, we've got the new movement, all those things are great, but in order to make this whole thing work, we need the new law. Old Testament, old covenant, whole bunch of laws. 611, 613, depending on how you count them, right? Over 600, whole bunch of laws. New covenant, new covenant comes with law too, but only one maybe two, depending on how you count them. So it's different. Law's there, law's here. Law's in the old covenant, law of the new covenant, but we need to have the law because if we don't follow this law, this command, this commandment of Jesus, the rest of these pieces don't make any sense and the whole thing begins to fall apart without further delay. Let's take a look at this new law that Jesus gives to his disciples. Last week, we spent some time with Jesus and his followers at what we call the Last Supper. And so much happens at this Last Supper, and Jesus is speaking more candidly with his disciples. He's kind of dropped some of the figurative language that he so often used, and he's speaking with them plainly and and Jesus is there with them, and he's already taught them how they need to serve one another, and so Jesus shows them what that looks like, and he, he washes their feet, and they, they share this meal together, and as part of the meal, Jesus announces that he is launching this new covenant, this new thing, this covenant of his blood. And so all this has happened, and they're gathered together at the table, and let's look at the words of Jesus printed in your bulletin from John chapter 13. It's so all the same night, all what we were talking about last week, same night, same event, same Passover celebration, They've celebrated the, the communion together, what we call communion together. And now Jesus speaks these words to his disciples. He says, my children. We have to stop there. <laughs> my children. You know what I did this week? I was like, that's a weird thing for him to call his disciples. Let me, look that, let me go look that up in Greek. Because be, we've got to be missing something in the translation here. So I looked it up in Greek. Guess what it means? Heyo. oh, Yeah little children or how about this little darlings (laughs) my little darlings now quite literally these men these followers of jesus and i know this has come up before they could have been quite young i mean it seems like peter was probably the oldest among them maybe he was in his early 20s we're talking about teenagers maybe as young as 15 years old my children my children, I will be with you only a little longer. Again, those of you doing the chronological Bible reading, we've, we've, we've seen people along the way, and we've seen Moses. Moses knew when his time was up, and he talks to his people. He's like, I'm about to go. All right? I'm going to be gathered to my people. Here's what I need to tell you before I go. And we saw it with Joshua also. What does Joshua say? I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Here's my last thing i got to tell you. And here's Jesus echoing that same idea. I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. And this is, so, this is so precious and so heartbreaking what he says next. Oh, my. Here we go. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Over three years, all these men had shared life together every single day. Jesus got up in the morning, they woke up too. Jesus went somewhere, they followed him there every single day for over three years. There are a few occasions in the Gospels where Jesus wakes up extra early and tries to get some time, just him with the Father, just alone with the Father, and guess what the disciples do? They wake up and they panic. Where is Jesus? We got to find him. And they seek after him and they find him. And Jesus says, it's not going to be like that this time where I'm going. You can't follow. Not this time. Not yet. Verse 34 A new command I give you. Can you put yourself in that room with the disciples as Jesus speaks those words? He's already established there's a new covenant. It's a covenant in my blood. This is happening. He's already laid the groundwork for this new covenant. And now he's about to give the new commandment. The old commandments are going to be gone. The old law is gone. Here's the new law. Now, I imagine if you were in that room, if you were one of the disciples with Jesus, your attention you would laser focus on what Jesus is about to say because this is really important. I mean, guys, he's about to share the new law with us, the new commandment. Is somebody going to write this down? John, can you write this down? We don't have any pens. Okay, John, you've got to remember this because we've got to write this down eventually. This is the new commandment, all right? Back in the old days, God gave Moses the commandments and told him, you better write this down because it's a lot. You're going to forget, right? So there they are, a new commandment. Here it is. Here we go. What is the new commandment? A new commandment I give you, love. Love one another. Now, if you were in that room, if you were one of the disciples, I bet you'd be confused by that because there is nothing Hear me, there is nothing new about this. Jesus, what are you talking about? New, <laughs> new commandment. This is part of the old commandment. I mean, we, in the book of Leviticus, we read about loving one another. That's, that's old. That's part of the old law. Where we're supposed to love one another and care for one another and we're supposed to take care of the, you know, the foreigner in our midst and show them love and we're supposed to take care of widows and orphans and the Levites and we're supposed to... Yeah, we are... Jesus, what are you, joking? New command? Love? I mean, it wasn't even a new teaching for Jesus. He'd already taught about this. Matthew, if you want to have your Bibles with you, you can take a look at this. Matthew, let's see here. Chapter 22, beginning with verse 34 here. Let me show you this, because Jesus already taught about love. This is not new. It's not new to this new covenant. It's part of the old covenant. Jesus had taught this before. Chapter 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, gathered together one of them an expert in the law tested him with this question he said teacher which is the greatest commandment in the law verse 37 jesus replied love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the first and the greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself nothing new about love Jesus was quoting from the old law, the old covenant, when he spoke these words about loving God, and then he clarified this whole thing about loving one another. And he ranks them as really being equal. And just a little side note here about love and what Jesus was saying, and I feel like if you were to go out today and try to share this teaching of Jesus with other people, hey, we ought to love one another, right? I feel like most people would agree with you there. I think it'd be difficult for you to find someone who disagreed with like, okay, well, what's going on? About, I'm not sure that we should love one another. I'm not sure that's the best policy for humankind, right? Most people would agree with that, right? What most people might not agree with, what some people wouldn't agree with is the first part, which is love God. And I'll tell you this right now. I know Jesus sets these things up as equals. To Love God, and love one another, and that's wonderful, and that's fantastic. But if you love one another without loving God, that love is incomplete. The love that you have for others isn't the same unless it comes from a place of loving God first. And so again, this is a teaching that Jesus has offered to his disciples before, to love one another, to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to love your neighbor. And they ask, well, who is my neighbor? And say, everybody is your neighbor, is what Jesus says. Love, the commandment of love, is not new, except in this instance And at this time, Jesus makes it new. At this time, Jesus takes this old teaching, this old idea that's been around that he's spoken about before, and he just brings a whole new radical meaning to it because he doesn't just say, love one another. What does he say? A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. The problem with the command, whether you're talking about the Old Testament command or the New Testament command, the Old Covenant command or the New Covenant, the New Covenant command, the command to love one another, the problem is this. How do we define love? That was the problem with the old law. How do we define love? In the old law, the Old Testament, the old covenant, what we read is that their obedience, the Israelites, their obedience to God was supposed to be motivated by their love of God. Over and over, love God enough to obey his commandments. And sure, if love doesn't work, there's always fear of God because there was consequences there. When you obey, you're blessed. When you disobey, you're cursed. Okay, so if love's not going to work, you can try fear as a motivator, but fear isn't a great motivator, is it? So love, love was the command, love God. Can you imagine trying to live by all those 600 and some commands? You'd have to really love God. Okay, I really love God. That's the only reason why I'm going to even try to keep all these commandments is because I love God that much. But as I said, the problem with a command to love is how do we define love? Love. I remember this, ninth grade English class. I don't remember a lot about high school. I remember this. Ninth grade English class, getting an assignment. We had to write a poem, right? Poems are fine, whatever. We had to write a poem, and in this poem, we had to define love. And you can just imagine, all of us 13-year-old boys were just so psyched about this assignment. Oh, yeah, right? I got to write a poem about love. Is any of this going to be in the final? Come on, what's going on here? We had to define love. And then it got even more fun, because here's what we had to do. You had to stand up in front of the class and read your poem about what love is, right? What is love? Baby, (laughs) don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. So I couldn't resist. But what is love? And here's what we learned. All these kids got up, 13-year-old students. I'm sorry, not kids. All these students got up to say their poems, and we all had a different take on what love is. So what is it? I want to know what love is want you to show me is that one too many that's one too many for the day all right sorry i'm sorry i can't resist but that's the thing is there's all these different ideas about what love is how do we define it give us a reference point old testament old law what does it look like to love god i don't know what does it mean to love one another i don't know i'm not sure new testament new covenant jesus okay you've heard this before love let me tell you how Let me show you. You want to know what love is? You want me to show you? All right, I'll show you what love is. As I have loved you, you need to love one another. At this point in time, this is before the cross. The cross was less than 24 hours away. It was less than 24 hours away. At this point in time, as Jesus spoke these words, think of how much he had loved his disciples And not just his disciples, but how much he had shown his love to humankind. Jesus, we learn this about him. Jesus was always part of God, always part of what we call the Trinity, the triune God. He was with God from before the beginning. He was a part, he was instrumental in the creation of all things, the heaven and earth. And there was Jesus in glory being worshiped by the angels. There he was, the Word, he's referred to as in the Gospel of John. There he was, part of God, God the Son in heaven. And he gave up all of that. Philippians chapter 2 tells us he poured himself out. He gave up his status. He gave up his worship. He gave up the respect that he deserved. He gave up his power. He put these self-imposed limitations on him. And he came down to earth, not as a king or as a priest, but as a little tiny baby born in a foul-smelling barn. He gave all of that up because he loved us. Not because he had to but because he loved us. And yes, don't get me wrong, God the Son is obedient to God the Father. Why is God the Son obedient to God the Father? Because he loves God the Father, and he loves us. And he gave all that up to be with us. And Jesus, how many times, how many different ways did he express and show his love to other people? And every time he did, you know what he did? Every time he expressed his love, it was some form of, of sacrifice from the very beginning he sacrificed his place in heaven he sacrificed his comfort he sacrificed his time he sacrificed his reputation to come down and be born here he made such a tremendous sacrifice entering into this world think about some of these specific encounters we see with jesus what about when he calls matthew to be one of his followers there was matthew a tax collector, an Israelite man who had betrayed his own people and was working for the enemy. He was taking money from his own people and giving it to the Romans. And Jesus sacrificed so much by approaching and engaging with Matthew, and then he wanted to step further and say, Matthew, follow me. My goodness gracious, love motivated that. It's because of love Jesus invited Matthew to be one of his followers, and they sat down, and he had meals. He ate with sinners. He ate with He he broke bread with, with people who were living far away from God. He broke bread with people who wanted nothing to do with God. He sacrificed his reputation big time. The religious establishment said, you're not supposed to do that. You're making yourself unclean, but Jesus did it. But you go back even before then. Back to John the Baptist. Do you remember this from week one? Back with John the Baptist, and all these sinners had gathered together to hear John the Baptist speak. And when Jesus first began his ministry, he did not present himself to the priest, he did not present himself to the Sanhedrin. He went and stood in a crowd of people. He stood among the sinners to be one of them. All these sacrifices that Jesus had made. And Jesus stands with Mary and her sister Martha as they cried over the death of their brother Lazarus, and they stand just outside of the tomb, and Jesus cries with them. Why? Because he loved. And Jesus says, roll away the stone. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Why? He's motivated by love. He has sacrificed. Up to this point, he has sacrificed so much to show his love for his disciples and for all people. And that's nothing compared to what would happen less than 24 hours later. And of all, disciples, all the disciples that were gathered in that room at that moment when Jesus told them to love one another as I have loved you, there was only one who made it to the foot of the cross. It was John. And he stood there, and he saw just how much Jesus loved. And as he was there Nailed to that cross, after being beaten, there on the cross, he prays to his father for the Romans and the Jews who had put him there, for the people that were taunting him and laughing at him. Do you know what Jesus says? Do you know what he prays? He pleads to the father and he says, forgive them. That's love. His father, forgive them. They don't know. What they're doing. They know not what they do. John was there, and he saw what love looks like. It is sacrifice. This is what you need to know. Love is sacrifice. This is what we need to, to internalize and know this and hold on. Love is sacrifice always. There's always sacrifice required when there is true acts of love. That same John who stood there at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus die, he was the one who outlived the other disciples. Church history tells us that the rest of the disciples were martyred, they were killed along the way, but John, he made it to, to advanced years, he made it to his retirement, I guess you could say. He was exiled. And while he was there, exiled, he wrote letters back to the church, encouraging them, encouraging the movement to continue on, and trying to show them what they were supposed to be about. And in one of his letters, 1 John in chapter 3, verse 16, he says this. He says, this is how we know what love is. Christ died for us. Says, Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know what a reference point, how you define love, Christ's death on a cross shows us what love is. Love is always sacrificial in nature. That's what love is. And I go back to thinking of myself as a 13-year-old boy with that assignment, in English class, what is love? I don't know. What is love? It's really liking somebody a whole lot, right? I don't know, right? So often we think of some kind of feeling or it's some love. No, no, no. Christ's brand of love, real love, is always sacrifice. This past week, just a few days ago, I think it was Wednesday. Did you hear about this? The fire? Just a few blocks down here at Ridley Park. So a house converted into apartments. There were, four, I think, four families living there. Thank God, everybody survived, but there was an older couple in that building, and a police officer arrived on the scene, and he helped the woman out, and there was a man who needed help, and he went into that building, and he put himself at tremendous risk. In fact, he suffered some burns in his esophagus, but he went in there, and he saved those people. Now, if you talk to him, I don't know if he'd say, well, it was love that motivated me to do that. I don't know if he would say that, but I know that that's what love looks like, love is sacrificial in nature. Take a look at your bulletin. Back of your bulletin, under the Kenya mission team, Kenya mission trip dates. You see that there? There are five names listed there. You want to know what sacrifice looks like? You want to know what love looks like? That's what love looks like. Five people taking time to go and do this thing and serve the poorest of the poor, to provide life-saving, clean water to people who are desperately in need, and in some cases, using up, zeroing out all their vacation time for the year. That sacrifice, that's love. That's what love looks like. Just yesterday, I received an update on how many people have volunteered to be a part of this overdose awareness walk. That's sacrifice. That's what love looks like. Have this opportunity. My goodness gracious, how blessed are we as a church to be given this tangible opportunity to go and help our community? Everybody in this room, and I said this last week, everybody in this room has been impacted by this thing. How addiction has become so rampant here in this area, and the number of lives that are lost to drug abuse, and the number of lives that are lost to overdose. and, And we've all felt it here. You know someone who has suffered from this, or at the very least, you know someone. Who knows someone who has died from an overdose? This is such an epidemic here. And here we are as a church. We have the opportunity to go and volunteer and to make this event happen and to help bring healing and hope into our community. And so many of you, a number of you at this point have already committed to giving up your Saturday in the spring. That's called a sacrifice. That's what love demands, sacrifice. And I tell you, I am so encouraged to be standing up here in front of a group of people. And so many of you have already showed us that you are willing to sacrifice in the name of love. Because love always requires a sacrifice. And I'm going to be very encouraged throughout this week because I know, listen, we need a lot more volunteers for that overdose awareness walk. We need a lot. They say, a lot, we need a lot more volunteers. And I'm going to be so encouraged throughout this week as those names come in of people sacrificing their time, their comfort. It's not just giving up your time. Those of you who did this last year the year before, you know how tough it is emotionally too. I mean, I thought I was ready for it until a little boy came up to me about this high, lost both of his parents. That's the kind of thing we just want to, we want to walk away from. But no, love would demand that we lean into that, that we help, that we serve. This is how we know what love is. Christ died for us. It's always sacrificial in nature. And so here we have this thing. Old covenant, a whole bunch of laws. New covenant, one law. It's the law of love. Okay, you can make it to love God, love one another, but it's the law of love. Of love. Old covenant, there was a whole big sacrificial system established, wasn't there? That people were to bring their animals to be slaughtered and were to have this this substitutionary death, and they'd have to bring their animals to be slaughtered by the priest at certain points of time. New covenant, guess what? There's a sacrificial system in the new covenant. The sacrifice is us loving one another sacrificially loving one another. It's as if we, we don't bring animals to slaughter, do we? We don't do that. No, we are the sacrifice. It's as if we are living sacrifices. Do you like that term? Anybody like that? We are living sacrifices. I ain't come up with that, by the way. That was Paul. Book of Romans. No, no, no. He's he's trying, and Paul. So much of his letter, so many, uh, so much of his instruction is trying to show people that was the old. This is the new. Yeah, there was an old sacrificial system. Now there's a new sacrificial system. We are living sacrifices, because what Paul understood quite well is that to love one another is to sacrifice. So we had the old way and the new way. In the new covenant, we are living sacrifices. We cannot be about the work of the new covenant. We cannot be about the work of making disciples. And we absolutely have no business calling ourselves a church without love. The key ingredient. It's the sauce that brings us all together. We need to show love to one another. Now, it's been really interesting as so many of these... these um, rediscovering Jesus, small groups are happening throughout the week, there's a question that came up that I feel like is really worth addressing. And the question is this, okay, if this old thing is over and the new thing has begun, how do we define sin? I mean, yeah, we get some instructions in the New Testament about what's sin, that's all good, but it's nothing like the Old Testament. I mean, it's like, here's all these things, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. It's not the same here, right? Right? Because Jeremiah said it's going to be different. All those things are written down in the Old Covenant, but Jeremiah told us in the Old Testament that this is going to be different. This is going to be written on our hearts. So let me explain this whole thing to you. Here's what's sin and what's not. To love, in the New Testament, to love is to obey, and to not love is to sin. See how difficult that is? To love is to obey, and to not love, that is sin. Do you see why so many of us gravitate towards maybe just practicing religion instead of this whole new covenant business? <laughs> because it's easier to go about checking your boxes and showing up at Bible studies and showing up at worship services and doing checking your boxes. It's a lot easier than loving one another, than the law of love is difficult to keep because to love is to obey and to not love is to sin. And so what we need to ask ourselves in every situation that we're in is what does love demand I do right here and now? What does love demand? What would it look like right here in this relationship, in this conversation? What does love demand I do or say right here and now? And when these opportunities come up to help our community, what does love demand we do right here and right now? That's what we have to be asking as a church. What does love demand we do and say and be right now? We need to love one another as Christ loved us. My word of encouragement to you today, to all of us today, my challenge to all of us today is to lean into love. As difficult as that is, to be able to ask ourselves that question, what does love demand we do here and now? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, knowing, knowing our human limitations, you promised us to send a helper, an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, you know that what we can't do in our own strength, you can accomplish through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father God, I pray that you would fill us anew with your Spirit, that we could be about this work of sacrificial love, that we would ask ourselves the question, what does love demand, that we would answer that question and lean into this law of love. Father God, take this your church, Hope Community Church. Take it and transform us into a community of people who are known by our love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.